Welcome to the 5G Techvitory podcast, where we will explore the hottest topics in 5G with some of the industry's leading minds. In every technology industry, at some point, there happens so-called standard wars. There are several players who develop their own standards, and they create some sort of competitive advantage. But they also limit new player entrance in the market and development of new um, innovations. And telecommunication industry is no different. But over here, also, people are working on a open standards which would enable uh, other players to join the market and work on innovation. And that's the topic for our next panel, Open RAN Technolo Technological Challenges and Opportunities, moderated by Marios Nicolao, Senior Consultant of Coleago. Over to you, Marios. Thank you very much. Welcome, welcome everybody to our physical and, and our digital audience and, and to our panelists. So, so welcome to Riga, welcome to this discussion. Here we're going to focus about Open Run. It appeared several years ago with lots of promise, but from the beginning we knew that it was going to be a complex and technological uh, thing to, to achieve. Essentially, we want to make networks, radio networks and, and radio access networks as plug and play as possible, just like as you plug your Wi-Fi router and it miraculously uh, just works. Um, we have a, with us a distinguished uh, a set of panelists from all over the world, also online. We have uh, two, two more panelists. And essentially what we're going to do is we're going to explore where we are now, the, the current state of, of, the, of, the, of the ORAN uh, industry, how it's developing. And then we're going to move another round towards where, where is um, you know, the future going. So. Um, Welcome to, to our panel once, once again. Christian, where are we? You are hands-on testing things all over the world. Very few people have probably so much lab experience as you do in this situation. Please tell us more about yourself, your company, and, and where we are. Okay, so yeah, my name is Christian Müller. I'm, I'm working for Roden Schwarz since a few decades. So I started in this environment already with 2G. <coughs> And the focus on our side, we, we are a test and measurement company, and the focus is on, on testing with, with some, some uh, focus on, on the radio interface. And uh, yeah, OpenRAN is, is quite an interesting story for us as well, and an interesting challenge. So this plug and play, as it was announced with, with a lot of marketing years ago, was always an issue where I said, oh, let's see how it is working. Yeah? And from a test and measurement perspective, to get the performance is an issue, um, to get the interoperability is an issue. But on the other side, it brings a lot of challenges for, for the, um, uh, the small and medium enterprises to bring in innovations and so on. So I, I, I see a mix here in, in this environment. Yeah? And uh, when we see now the first networks coming along, they are mainly in this area of enterprises and, and uh, small networks. And uh, I see pretty good opportunities coming 
in, in this environment. But it's, it's a way. So it's not ready today. And I'm, I'm pretty much convinced <coughs> it will be a technology we can work on and which brings <coughs> quite some, some good additional insights in. So from a test and measurement, some, some experience where we are today, I would say uh, I've been in, in an harbor environment for uh, autonomous uh, equipment for grain control. Um, we've, we've been in a test center for automotive, for autonomous driving on, on, on trucks. So it has been on an open run technology. Um, I would say from a performance point of view in, in such a small environment, it was really good. So we achieved latencies in a range of, of, of around 12 to 15 milliseconds. We achieved uh, uploads in, in a range of 300 uh, megabits, 350 megabit, and downloads in a, in a range of one gigabit. So <clears throat> it is working, but still there is challenges in terms of, like in Germany, we, we have private networks with allocated uh, frequency bands, which are very close to the public band. So we, we have challenges in terms of synchronization to the Deutsche Telekom network, for instance. Or if we are in a research environment, we have challenges that, that certain base stations are on air, but maybe not synchronized. And, and these are situations which are causing interference. And yeah, that's one of our challenges, to find it in terms of troubleshooting, deployment, in terms of performance tuning. So I would say, at the moment, a very good future, and we have a good playground for Wonderful. further research. <clears throat> Thank you very much. <clears throat> Let's go now online. We have great pleasure to have with us an actual operator, uh, BT. Uh, Richard, thanks a lot for accepting our last-minute invitation. Um, please, what, what do you see from, from the eyes of, of, of an operator? Uh, what is your experience? I'm sure you've played a lot with, with the technology. What, what can you tell us? Give us your insights, please. Uh, thanks. Thanks for um, inviting me, Marius. Um, and apologies to everyone that I couldn't be there in person. As he said, I've, I've, I was in, involved quite, quite last minute, and I, but I would have loved to have been there. Um, so if, if there are any questions for me afterwards, I'm, I'm happy to um, take some emails afterwards. Um, but from, from an operator perspective, one of the key things that we were, were trying to address with, with um, the future next generation rollouts is, is making sure that we have a resilient supply chain. And what we have seen over recent years is, is the number of vendors has just declined. So the, the ecosystem is, is not very resilient. And um, the knock-on effect to that lack of competition is also a lack of innovation. So when we talk about next generation rollout, we want to be able to offer new capabilities um, for our customers. And we're not going to see that as the um, as the innovation declines. So so that was the main driver behind OpenRAN. Um, and I think a lot of people were talking about a TCO reduction. That might happen as a result of competition, but that's not the primary reason for OpenRAN. Um, and it's also, OpenRAN as an architecture is, is also a, re, a way of 
modernizing the way we roll out networks because of the virtualization aspect. So certainly we want to add features um, more quickly, add new services and capabilities more quickly. Um, and we can only do that in a virtualized environment. We can't, we can't wait for hardware, new hardware to be um, tested and then deployed before we um, can offer variations of a service. Um, so the virtualization aspect is, is a key part of Open Run. Um, that really offers new opportunities to to an operator. Um, one of the one of the biggest challenges um, to the industry is is this lack of competition, and that's not just about competition between vendors. That's also competition between operators. If we don't have much choice of what we can deploy, it's very hard for operators to differentiate from one another. And um, this is one of the key areas where I think OpenRAN can genuinely make us outperform legacy architectures in that we have this um, centralized component, the, the RAN intelligent controller, which really does enable operators to differentiate from one another. We can add features and capabilities from a range of third parties that can, um, that can allow us to offer a completely different suite of services from, from our competitors. And so that seems to be one of the most exciting areas, I think. Um, in terms of making all this happen, the problem is, is interoperability. Um, and so it's been key for us to work with um, global industry organizations. So NGMN and TIP in particular have been very good at, at driving this forwards. Um, and then we, of course, we need standardization. So 3GPP and ORAN Alliance have, have been critical there. Um, but I think OpenRAN at the moment, the, the worst thing I could say about OpenRAN is people want it to be a success instantly. And it is succeeding in, in areas and it's developing um, very quickly, but we're not at that point where we can um, sit back and relax. There's still a, a huge amount of work to be done. Um, and as we deploy more and more open run, we're going to see um, interoperability um, challenges overcome. But at, at this moment, I think interoperability to enable a genuine multi-vendor deployment is, is still probably the, the, the biggest area that we need to focus on. Wonderful. <clears throat> thanks, thanks a lot for, those, uh, for, for, for the insights. Uh, let's now turn to, to Timo. Uh, we have, uh, we have uh, you know, an open software company working on Open Run. That's essentially the, the, the dream of, of, all, of all industries. What are, what are your insights, Timo? So, <clears throat> first of all, I'm a chief technologist at Red Hat Telecomedia and Entertainment based in a couple of countries north from here, in mm -hmm. Finland, and um, focusing on, on RAN uh, specifically for the last couple of years. People might ask that why is 100% open source software company involved in RAN? Mm -hmm. That's a good question, but uh, we are. And uh, why we are is, uh, the reason is that uh, 3GPP initially with their release 15, they specified uh, which, which people call disaggregated RAN, uh, having radio unit, distributed unit and centralized unit like a separate entities with, with uh, eventually good open interfaces between those RAN workloads. And then specifically DU and CU, the other disaggregation uh, model is to separate hardware from the software and that's where Red Hat plays in. So we provide uh, uh, software platforms cloud platforms for DU and CU purpose in 
not on Radio Unit yet, maybe it happens one of these days, but now on DU and CU. And, and primarily it's a, it's a container platform. We can provide virtualization platform in, if necessary, but uh, looks like uh, in the open RAN space it's more, more like containers, not, uh, not that much uh, virtualization, but we can do both. And on top of that, we can provide automation tools, open source automation tools, which is very, very important topic when you deploy uh, RAN sites in scale, like hundreds of thousands of RAN sites, it has to be automated. So that's why we, how we play in. And uh, this whole topic of uh, open RAN and disaggregated RAN, that opened an opportunity for us to chime in. Earlier we had nothing to do with, uh, with um, incumbent vendors, people call it classic RAN, they were closed things, we had not, nothing to do there, now we do. Um, and um, a couple of, uh, so there's a lot of opportunities, we will talk about that, I'm sure, but a couple of uh, challenges I'd like to uh, point out, uh, which Richard already uh, kind of touched, um, is the state of the standardization of uh, Open RAN. Now, we have to remember that, uh, or everybody here knows that 3GPP is the standardization authority of mobile network, and whatever they uh, decide and define, that's a mandatory thing to implement by, by the vendors. Then we have an ORAN alliance, which is not a de jure standardization, it's de facto. An ORAN alliance cannot mandate of the usage of their standards. They can, it's a de facto, they can recommend. Of course, service providers like British Telecom, everybody, they can mandate their vendors to implement ORAN alliance specification, but the organization itself cannot do that. And that kind of creates a little bit, oh, quite a bit of confusion because if you look at the complete ORAN Alliance compliant RAN, which doesn't exist yet because all the spec work is not done, about half of the interfaces are specified by 3GPP and another half is specified by ORAN Alliance. So part of the interfaces are mandatory, part of the interfaces are not. They are just recommendations, and I think that's not a good situation to be in. And so that's where we are from, from standards or specification point of view. The other topic I'd like to raise is uh, the need for system integration, system integrators. So earlier, uh, classic RANs or radio access networks by, by incumbent vendors, they did, they did take care of everything. You know, you buy Ericsson, Nokia, Samsung, RAN, it's a one vendor, they do everything for you or for the service provider. Now it's a collaborative effort, many companies chime in, Red Hat included, and, uh, and uh, the incumbent vendors do not take system integration responsibility in that case when there are many vendors in, in this mix. So there's a a specific need for system integrators and I believe a big opportunity for system integrators. Red Hat is not doing that, unfortunately. I would like to, but we are not built for that. So, you know, uh, the well-known system integrators like uh, Accenture, Accenture, Capgemini, and uh, Tech Mahindra and all those. And NEC, uh, I'm sure Allah will talk about it. NEC is a, NEC is a 
equipment provider, but also system integrator. So I personally, I hope a lot what NEC can do. Well, th thank you very much. So uh, system integrators, uh, we, we have Allah on, online and uh, you know, it will be also a very good handoff for you to tell us your opinion. Is there opportunity? Is it, is it uh, possible to overcome all these challenges? Please, Allah, go ahead. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm Ala Goldner. I am director of Open Standards in NEC. I actually joined NEC only four months ago. Before that, I was also leading standardization and open source activities in MDOCS. And so, you know, a few words uh, I would like to say regarding NEC in two aspects, in the uh, industry-related aspects of what we do as a company and also in standardization and industry consortium related uh, aspects. So, you know, for the first one, NEC has been deployed widely in RAN in Japan for many, many years in the recent years, also for Oran with massive MIMO use case. So NEC really gained its experience from, you know, Japan, high density areas. And that experience NEC decided would be good to apply to other areas. So basically take that opportunity of Oran adoption in the different countries and by leveraging actually our experience bring it there. So this is how basically NEC came into Oran area. And, you know, I would basically like to mention even, you know, some recent uh, things that we did even since I joined. So NEC acquired Aspire Technology Company, which is the major provider of integration services in RAN, and that indeed extends our integrational, you know, uh, services and abilities that we have, you know, following on what Timo has said previously. You know, before that, we launched CUDU for international market, and that's also very important think in terms of that, you know, ecosystem extension, which also previous speakers talked about, there are not that many vendors and we actually, we've been our new vendor for international market and we decided this is an opportunity for us also to extend it into CUDU. Now, it is important, very important to mention that when I say, you know, was RU and CUDU, it is not that we intend or we push for all of our products all together. It is really for ecosystem extension, for bringing more possibilities to the ecosystem and to potential integration with other parts coming from another vendors. And finally, third thing, you know, again, on the industry-related activities I wanted to mention, you know, uh, in the beginning of the year, NEC acquired Blue Danube uh, in the US and we turned it into Innovation Hub. And this is one additional source of innovation and potential, you know, integration lab where we can interoperate and test this additional vendor. Now on standardization front, and here uh, NEC has always been active in FreeGPP and in Oran Alliance and in TIP, of course, and we've recently actually went through TIP process of getting a badges for our product. So we got bronze badge for our 12 RUs. We were actually the first vendor uh, who followed a new process, which was just announced by TIP back in October. So we indeed strongly believe in those, you know, industry-based activities. We believe that as many as those activities exist, 
either in our own labs or in labs by different vendors or even better in the communities provided by TIP, by Orin Alliance, additional thing, you know, and soon there is going to be also some press releases related to this coming from Orin Alliance, but basically we participate in Orin Alliance Flagfest right now in three different territories in Japan, in the, U, in the US. More of those activities, better Orin adoption will be. Now, with all that said, you know, uh, the picture is not that bright, right? So I would say, speaking about challenges that we face, I would say there are several that I would like to mention. First of all, the integration and integration challenge, and I guess I've already touched that. Again, as many integration efforts in the industry as we see, the better for oral adoption is. Now, the second thing is, and I think it is very important and rarely being discussed, consolidation of requirements, because there are many options provided by ORAN specifications. And indeed, those are not standards as per se, but, you know, those are specifications which can be implemented by that. But then, you know, different service providers request for different configuration options, and then basically we as a vendor need to provide a different set of configuration for each customer and that basically means we cannot provide something on high scale and we cannot be cost effective because of that and that really hurts or market in overall i think so that consolidation that a consolidated set of the requirements perhaps an offset work by service provider to actually to agree on the less configuration on the less requirement set, but deploy that set of requirements in the reality. This is what probably is needed by the industry. And one last thing I would like to mention, you know, integration and it's very important, but orchestration and management is not less important. And the reason I'm saying that is that the more components in the network exist, the more end-to-end uh, -end management and orchestration is needed. And this Oran, instead of having one box, we have RUCUDU, which might and will be provided hopefully by different vendors. And then that task of you know, managing all those functions, yes, it is an integration task, but also end-to-end -end management task. And this is why we are highly promoting SMO in Oran architecture with non-real-time read, and then also end-to-end -end SO managing all the network functions in the chain of network, including RAN, transporter, core. Those things are very, very, very important for ORAN adoption as well. So this is also, and, and standards do exist. They already, some standards by 4GPP, some standard specifications provided by ETSIS are the same, some provide by ETSIS NFP. So really it is up to industry now to go and adopt those. And again, we see a very, this is a very important and we really call for wider adoption of those. Thank you. Thank you very much for those, uh, for those points. I, I took I took a few notes because already I start to see commonalities and we will return to the next round of our question and make it a little bit more, um, more uh, tangible, uh, our suggestions. So, Francesca, welcome. Uh, we're very excited to have somebody from the United Kingdom with us today, especially from, from the DCMS. We see a lot of great activities that you're doing at the government, but also at the private sector level. Uh, 
I personally feel that we have to, a lot to learn from you. So please, let us know a little bit of, of the main key activities that you're doing and why you're doing them. Thank you so much, and thank you for the invitation to, to join the panel today. Um, it is uh, great to be able to share the UK's experience. I think we have uh, uh, learned quite a lot in our journey so far, and uh, it's, been, it's been really helpful over the course of this week, speaking to uh, other nations and other companies about, about what they're doing. Um, from the UK's point of view, this uh, journey really began about uh, three years ago with a review that we published that highlighted the risks um, of the status quo. And on the back of that, two years ago, we launched a, a strategy uh, to look at what we can do to build a more diverse, a more resi resilient, and a more secure uh, telecoms supply chain infrastructure. Um, that was, uh, fortunately, backed up with a huge amount of money from the government. And we we're very lucky um, to have £250 million to, to work on this with. Um, and I can go into a bit more detail on, on what we've been doing with that funds. I think what's been really clear from the UK experience is that this is not, this is not just a government-led initiative. From a government's perspective, we can really see uh, the risks of the status quo and the opportunities that open and interoperable architectures present. But it's been very much a conversation and working with industry uh, who've clearly signaled that this, this is the way that uh, they want to be moving. If I was to talk about the kind of role of government in this, I think everyone automatically thinks of government and your mind goes to, to regulation, and, and it's not just about that. I think it might be easiest to see it in, in sort of three broad buckets of, of what the government's role is in supporting um, these technologies. One, and this is crucial, is to protect uh, the critical national infrastructures, and it's absolutely clear that security and resilience is at the heart of this. Um, we're not naive about the risks of open RAN, and there is, as, as we've been saying, a lot to do on standards in particular. Um, but governments need to be involved in that debate and supporting companies through industry-led standard setting in order to build open RAN infrastructures or open interoperable infrastructures that do deliver on security as well as on performance and, and commercially as well. Um, so, as well as protecting, I think there's another very important role for governments in convening um, and talking to industry, um, bringing together industry uh, at a national level and an international level, but also bringing together other governments. We have had a very interesting week so far here in Riga, bringing together regional governments and talking about the shared challenges and the shared opportunities that we face. But uh, also from a UK perspective, we've been doing a huge amount to engage with industry um, domestically through an advisory council um, that, that, that gives us the expert view on what to do. I mean, we're policymakers. We're not technical experts. We need that conversation to be working. We need that to be an open door of conversation between. And for us, as a foundation of our policy on diversification, that really strong relationship with industry has been absolutely crucial. Um, so there's protecting, there's convening, but I think um, what, uh, what might be most useful to go into is what I see as the kind of third, third part of this, and that is what can governments do to enable this. This is not a government-led effort. It's where industry is going, it's where industry wants to go, it's where there is huge amounts of opportunities for, for business and, and for consumers. Um, and the UK has been thinking uh, for, for two years, three years now, on what we can do to help industry along that journey. Um, and there's a few different roles for government in that. One really important thing is simply signalling, showing the direction of travel that we want to see. Um, as part of that, we announced um, 
a year ago, I think, um, that uh, we would want to see 35% of the uh, UK's net mobile network traffic carried over open and interoperable systems by the year 2035. Now, to a lot of people, that seems really ambitious. Um, well, it wouldn't be an ambition if it wasn't ambitious. And actually, uh, we have seen uh, already huge movements towards that. Vodafone, for example, has um, announced that it will be launching um, uh, 2,500 uh, open RAN sites, working with um, NEC as well across the UK, and those sites are already going live. Also, in terms of signalling the direction that we want to see um, the industry going, this year we announced the Open RAN principles. We have all these conversations about Open RAN, and I sometimes wonder if two people in the room have the same idea of what we're talking about, because there's a huge amount of discussion about the different technologies involved, and there's many different ways that that technology could go. And we need to have a really clear, shared vision of what good Open RAN looks like. Um, and that's why we announced the principles earlier this year of what kind of, what, what Open RAN should look like. Um, so open disaggregation, uh, standards-based compliance, demonstrated interoperability and implementation neutrality are for us the four pillars that we really need to see for Open RAN to succeed. But it's not just about signaling. Um, in order to kind of enable the full potential of Open RAN, we're also <coughs> looking at what we can do to remove barriers, um, whether that is sunsetting 2G and 3G networks so that you uh, are freeing up spectrum, um, or, or looking at other barriers that are preventing the direction of travel we want to see. Um, standards have been mentioned a few times. What can we do to get more small, uh, uh, small and medium industry involved in standard setting with the skills they need to do that, for example? And finally, um, there is the role of government in, in, in helping R&D and really throwing concrete money at sorting out the problems that we see, whether that is interoperability that's been raised a few times or other challenges that we see around Open RAN. So the UK has launched a number of different um, R&D initiatives, um, some of which are focused on uh, interoperability, like, like Sonic Labs or the UK Telecoms Lab, um, as well as uh, what we call uh, Frank, which is a competition we launched um, uh, f benefiting uh, 15 different consortia uh, with £36 million pounds worth, worth of investment. Um, but we've got a whole spectrum of different R&D &D initiatives that we are now launching out to help try to build that ecosystem, to build that innovation, to build that creativity. Uh, I think perhaps the kind of note I'd want to end on is that um, this is not just about governments working in isolation. It really has to be about governments working with industry and working with each other. We're seeing great things happening elsewhere in the world, in Japan, in the US. We had a, a tour yesterday of, uh, of a lab right here around the corner in Riga doing really exciting things. And governments have a role to play in helping that ecosystem speak to each other and, and to listen to industry and, and, and understand what industry wants. Um, and so that's why events like this are so important. And thank you for for bringing us together today. Th th thanks a lot. And it's, it's actually so wonderful to uh, hear all these things from you and all the enthusiasm and direction that you're giving to your own uh, industry, but to the whole world. We have experience with the European uh, countries. Some of them are enthusiastic, other ones uh, don't put that, <laughs> that kind of effort. And you know, we will make sure that we point out to this session and to, to listen to your guidelines that what should European uh, countries do with respect to their attention to this important uh, direction that I think is inevitable. Um, we have less time than I was hoping, but let's talk about the future, maybe in a more concise way and in a more 
actionable way. Let's try to avoid being a little bit too politically correct. You know, I've heard, um, I've heard common signals, like, you know, what do we do, for example, with, um, uh, you know, like this, the move from kind of like standards to requirements. Uh, I think almost all of you mentioned this point. What needs to be done? Uh, what, what would make really a difference? Let's be as precise as possible. Richard. Yes, uh, absolutely. This is one of the, the biggest challenges. And um, I think Timo also pointed out that the point with um, there's still things to be added to the standards to make them more complete. But at the same time, there's a huge amount of um, optionality. And if a vendor's going to off, you know, get get scale on a solution. They they need to make sure they're building things with the right options that that will satisfy their their wider customer base. Um, and certainly, what what we've done in the in, within TIP um, is try to get agreement among operators on what the requirements are. So, going down to the use case level and saying, well, actually, we don't need any of these features if we're not talking about massive MIMO. If we are talking about massive MIMO, we need all these features and, and trying to make it clear where these options um, are useful and, and where they don't need to be considered. And so these these, um, these refined um, and narrower sets of requirements are, are very useful when it comes to actually building a, a definition of what a product um, okay. needs to look like. Um, so I, I think that's going. That's going well. I don't. I don't think we need to change what we're doing. Um, I think we just need to make sure that as we add new use cases, we're focusing on the ones that have the big, big markets. Um, so sometimes you do tend to find that you go down a rabbit hole. You start talking about one very useful scenario, and then you talk about um, what's of interest to just one operator rather than um, the wider operator base. So I, th I think that's all we have to do. Just keep making sure that we engage publicly with these discussions and it doesn't become um, private consortia and you end up with sort of um, sub-ecosystems in, in each region um, and we're not getting anything that, that can be deployed globally. So I, I, th I think we just need to make sure we, we're not trying to make claims about Open RAN being a success. As I said before, we don't want to say Open RAN is a success now. It's on the right path to being a success and we just have to be realistic that this is going to take time and we have to prove things one step at a time. So, um, you know, for, for macros, I think that's the big market for us. We're talking about probably five years before there's a, a realistic chance that we could be putting macros um, into any premium macro locations because but how do we, we've how already do we just rolled out 5G. You, you know, I mean, I, I get it, but lots of complexity, lots of... I, I heard, you know, Ala before, she's, her point is like, there's so many combinations. Like, Timo, what... What do you think? How do we reduce so, so faster <coughs> the, 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 the requirements, the combinations, and make it like a, an easier field to play, you know? So this is a really, really big, big question to answer. We would need a couple of days. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll, I'll, take, um, I'll take one example. You know, Richard uh, touched this point that there is too much optionality in specs. Yes. In, so... But let's also watch the, watch the clock and yeah. give a fair so opportunity one, for everyone. One, yeah. one, one topic which we are working, which is kind of amazing for many people, why cloud platform provider is developing precision timing for RAN. But that's a RAN Alliance's decision that the cloud platform has to do that. So we need to do precision timing, Sync E. Now, RAN Alliance have four timing profiles. 
Four sounds like a good number, but each of these profiles, they have like half a dozen sub-configurations. Okay. And that's way too much. And I would say 80% of those are waste of time and waste of uh, people's time to specify them. And we right. are never going to implement everything I can say here in public. And if we reduce timing profiles or if Oran Alliance reduces timing profiles to a manageable number of profiles, that would accelerate yeah. timing. Thanks, I mean, thanks a lot for that. Alain, what do you think? Because you, you mentioned the same point. What, what, would make, what would make it happen? It looks like a, a little bit like en engineers gone, gone wild. I've, I've been in that position. Like when, when you have an open playing field and then everybody has their opinion. How, how do we get it more contained? What do you think? Uh, I really think she's up to industry collaboration. And I have a very big hopes for TIP efforts in this regard, because, you know, TIP is about taking the requirements from all different sources, such as BGPP or an alliance and even other specification and consolidated per service provider requirements. And, 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 and hopefully, you know, right now they're really gathering all of the requirements. And again, in order to get wage, for example, we need to pass through all of the requirements. My hope is that there will be, as I said earlier, a great set of service providers' requirements, probably following some their own agreements and memorandum of understanding by the very recently, you know, entity document Vodafone has signed such as memorandum of understanding related to Oran. Uh, both to our testing and to rig use cases. So I really hope that will be real thing and most service providers will join. So eventually we see that consolidated set of less requirements which are practical and pragmatically can be implemented. I think this is really the way forward, right? Uh, you know, specification always, you know, even in free GPP, one of the speakers mentioned before, all in free GPP has to be implemented. I would not agree with that because, you know, free GPP also had probably 10-15% of mandatory requirements and then the rest are optional as well. So I'm not uh, afraid of the fact that there are too many specifications and too many configuration in the specification as is. I'm concerned that a different configurations are being requested. So such an uh, efforts by TIP, by perhaps additional consortiums of actually consolidated the most important ones will help Oran to, be, to become adopt more, to become adopt on scale. And this is really what we are looking forward for. And this is really what we are participating in. Th thanks a lot for that. And don't worry too much about the time because we're going to steal a little bit from the Q&A. So <laughs> let's, be, let's be fair. But I, I want to I get to that point because it could become a nightmare for, um, for, for somebody who's trying to scale. So Francesca, on this point of like, you know, making, you know, less combinations, more, uh, less configurations and more kind of like a more precise uh, set of requirements that can be applied. Are you guys doing anything in that domain that is assisting the industry? So I think this is where um, this work that we've been doing on trying to build a shared vision of what we want Open RAN to look like is so important. So these Open RAN principles that we published earlier this year are really trying to do that and set out clear, clear guidelines for where, where we think this needs to go. Okay. What's really important, though, I think, is not only just building that shared vision, but then working together on how we deliver it. 
Um, we've seen some great step forwards with um, governments over the last year, with the Prague proposals that were, were signed off this time last year. Um, but there's a lot more that we can be doing to work together to pool our R&D resources and to work together with industry. To, I mean, the UK, we're only 2% of the, of, of the global market. We, we're, we're nothing <laughs> without working together. So that's really important that we're, that we're actually doing concrete, concrete deliverable actions together. Okay, wonderful. Um, I mean, thank you very much. Christian, what's your opinion? Because I think you, you probably like many configurations to test them, but... <laughs> but well, from, from, a test point, from a test point of view, Oran is quite a, a, a good story. <laughs> but uh, I, I would say uh, all, all these configurations and Oran alliances and, and, and standardization, uh, it's, it's necessary. But I would really, or at least what we see at the moment, is the momentum what's coming from the verticals. So from the enterprise yes. business, from, from the industrialization. <coughs> and uh, I, I, I'm in, in contact with a lot of universities which are doing research on yes. open run. And I, I think this, this way of research will bring the Oran story a little bit, um, or will push the Oran story. And, and I would say, um, when we talk about logistics, uh, talk about harbors, autonomous driving, uh, production environment, and so on, this will help us to bring the idea of Oran forward. And I would not maybe look for the big goal, replacing now uh, infrastructure from, from a certain area. I would really push and, and do end-to-end -end testing, service level testing, quality assurance measurements. So in, in this way, spend some, some time for, for developing methodologies. That's where we are in, and that's what we are doing today in terms of deployment, troubleshooting, performance tuning, quality service testing, and so on. Thanks so it's, it's a good future, <coughs> we're on a good way. I think we will agree on, the, on that it's a good future. It's, it's challenging and interesting. Let's see if there are questions from our, from our audience. Please, sir. My name is John Strand from Strand Consult. We've done a lot of reports describing the myth around Open RAN. And I hear this story about vendor diversity. Isn't it two questions? Isn't Open RAN too little too late? Because we can see the operators basically don't buy Open RAN. Okay? <coughs> it's a commercial disaster, to be honest. Vodafone have correctly said they would deploy 2,000 sites in UK this year. I think they have something like 15 or 20 up running, and it's very close to the end of the year. Um, we hear all the time the vendor diversity. This is in the RAN part, and we have like five vendors in the RAN part. And they can just remove the two Chinese and say we have three just of the RAN. But the RAN represent less than 3% of the operators ARPU. So, you know, the, the whole story about this is high cost. How do you look at the vendor diversity in other parts of the value chain? In the open RAN, you use the Intel chipset. There's, according to my knowledge, one vendor. Uh, if we look at the hyperscale clouds, we have three vendors, three American vendors, uh, Microsoft, AWS, and Google. If I look at the operating systems, we have two operating systems, iOS and Android. And I could keep on saying like that, there's actually more vendor diversity in the RAN part 
mm -hmm. of the mobile industry than in other okay, parts of it. I think the point is clear, and I, I love questions that are actually statements, but okay, <coughs> let's, let's take it from, from there. So anyone wants to take it head on? Timo, you go. I, I will answer <laughs> the first part. Is it too, what was it, too little? Too, too little, late. too late, I like no, that. Too, I think <laughs> it's too little, too early. And what I, why I'm saying it is that, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yes>. so <laughs> this, this has been going on for quite a few years and we still do not have large-scale uh, serious deployments. We don't. And uh, we are approaching the time when industry starts doing POCs and trials on 6G. Yes. And I believe firmly that uh, Oran Alliance compliant uh, RAN, disaggregated RAN, will be a big thing on 6G. Hopefully earlier a bit, but... So le le it's giving direction to the future, but let's go to our operator here, who can tell us, please, honestly and frankly, how, why it's not being, being adopted by operators and not what needs to happen? Well, um, certainly it's, it's a good point about the timing. Um, with, with 5G, most operators have rolled out 5G already, so saying Open RAN is now ready to deploy is, isn't that exciting for us because we've already rolled out 5G. So the opportunity then comes when those, that 5G equipment that's been rolled out already is um, at the end of its lifetime. So that's why for the, the big prize, perhaps, of, of the macro network, you really are looking at least five, seven, ten years down the line. And that is when we're starting to talk about 6G. So this is a very good point that um, the open run architecture becomes um, a, wild, a wide scale success when we get to when we get to 6G. But one of the key things about 6G is that it's not that we want to make sure that it isn't about rebuilding the network. So this idea of a disaggregated, virtualized um, architecture is so that as we move from what's classed as 5G to what's classed as 6G, we're not going to have to rebuild the network. There will be obviously modifications and additions and things removed gradually over time, but we're not going to say on this date, we switch on all these new capabilities. 6G is gonna be a lot more of a, a gradual progression, um, but to enable all of those 6G capabilities, we do need this sort of architecture. Th thanks for that. Anyone else feels passionately about that question? Al, I see you probably. Yeah. So first of all, you know, briefly on the first point, I don't agree it's a disaster, it is too late at all because, you know, Orange so not officially being part of 5GSA, but strongly associated with 5GSA, both from deployment perspective and from standardization perspective. And we all know, of course, status of deployment of 5GSA. And, you know, I would even say that 5GSA a little bit precedes Orange. So I really think that perhaps there was some, you know, high expectation than there should be. But even, you know, if you look into analysis papers from a few years ago, no one has said that Oran would reach a wide deployment status by 2022. So I don't think that this is the case. You know, it is progressing perhaps a little bit lower than expected or lower than expected, but not, you know, not to the extent of has been a disaster, not at all. Now, uh, regarding vendors, I would actually agree to that point. Indeed, there are not many vendors in that field, but actually, as you say, more than in, in other parts of the network. But of course, we would expect and we would like to have more. 
But one point here I would like to mention, I don't see, you know, split of CUDURU and the vendors in that space necessarily as that significant innovation. I do see innovation actually coming from a vendors providing, you know, those near real time, non real time applications, which can now by standardized mean communicate this radio, these parts of the radio and provide and information from outside basically feed up radio with, the inf with that set of information. And this is really what I would expect a new company to come up with and to bring and to build those applications, you know, based on statistics, based on AIML for a different types of the use cases, both on optimization front and on the front of, you know, splicing management and so on. And I at this point of time, I think even when industry talk about those uh, applications, it is more really, you know, into the optimization field. And this is why perhaps it is more up to those, you know, rent vendors to provide. But as we move forward, this is really going to cover more, you know, vertical related use cases, industry related use cases. And this is where I really expect those startups to evolve and to actually get into our area. And, uh, you know, this will extend our ecosystem. So that would be my response. Uh, thanks a lot. We have a flashing red light on the screen. Um, it's, <laughs> uh, I think we started a discussion to be continued. Please use the platform, ask more questions, debate. This is a, an ongoing process and definitely thanks uh, to, to our panelists and, and to the audience and, and online for, uh, for attending this session. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.